0: This is Unclaimed Bands, episode 22. Hey, music listeners. This is Sean and AJ with Unclaimed Bands. And today we're sitting down with Erica Schiff and Jimmy James from In the Blonde. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank Thanks. you.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to jump right into the interview here. i got to tell you, I've listened to your CD about 10 times easily since I bought it. I'm offended. Uh, I was
2: expecting more than that. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, they they frown on it at work because I can't wear headphones, so... I'll just play it
2: out for the whole office. <laughs> oh, all right, <coughs> go so, on.
0: You know, I gotta tell you, uh, listening to the whole record, I was really blown away by the diversity of the music and the way you guys got it to blend together so well. Was that something, uh, a conscious decision you made when making the record?
1: I I don't think we consciously went into it. I think that way, I think we kind of just were writing together as much as we could. And we were like, okay, we finally have 10 songs. And we played them all for Derek uh, Chafin, our producer, and I think he did a really great job of, of um, you know, taking 10 eclectic songs and, and and giving them some continuity with his skills.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, there's, there definitely were some songs <clears throat> along the way that got, that got cut out, maybe not once we were at Derek's, but in the process of showing each other ideas, things that we shot down, and so it's not like we just got to 10 and then recorded them, but in a way it was, and uh, yeah, the conscious part was definitely talking about how we were gonna unify that sound through the production. Cause mm-hmm. you could play those 10 songs on an mm-hmm. acoustic guitar and they would seem even more, even broader uh, stylistically. So we talked a lot about the production and about how Erica's voice would be a common thread, uh, you know, and the, and the different emotional themes to connect it all together.
1: So. In fact, we didn't even plan on making a full length album. We, we went in there with a, a demo, a yeah. theme song EP in mind, and, and it just kind of turned into just kind
0: of grew, the legit, full huh? thing. Yeah, that's cool, so. that's very cool. Now I got to ask, with your uh, different musical backgrounds, when you're writing songs together, then and now, uh, what are the challenges to bringing your
2: musical styles together and blending them? Musical differences are the least of the, <laughs> the <laughs> least of the trouble. <laughs> that, that, that we would, uh, uh, you know, we'd bicker about what kind of beer to drink while we wrote, and it would explode <laughs> into an argument. No. Um,
1: and then write a song. Uh,
2: yeah, and then and then write a song about that, probably. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that the the, the style. I mean, occasionally there would be. Um, something that I might bring from my taste that wasn't quite to Erica's liking and I, I'd i lobby for the song and vice versa and those things didn't work out but I think for the most part there wasn't a real lot of, there wasn't a lot of challenge as far as that goes No, I remember. in
1: fact um, I don't gel very easily with many people as far as co-writing and with Jimmy it just seemed really natural I had a lot of ideas that were not finished and he helped me finish them he had some ideas that I gave him my take on it which were things he wouldn't have thought of and um I'm more piano driven, he's more guitar, riffy, so it was really kind of a fresh point of view for me to work with him, and, and I was a fan of his band before him and I ever wrote together, so cool.
0: Um,
1: it was, it was kind of cool.
0: Well, you know, um, with your songs, you cover uh, a lot of different subjects with the lyrics and uh, a lot of different themes, you know, from the and first track, uh, For a Good Time, and all the way to what I personally do believe is an incredibly beautiful song, Lullaby. Thank you. And I just want to know, can you talk about some of the inspirations for these songs?
1: Well, for me personally, um, obviously relationships are an easy thing to write about because we all, you know, have relationships. But uh, just general things in life, things that affect you, that move you, for a good time, for example. Um, do you know his name? There was some guy playing in Rittenhouse Square, playing in a, in a, a guitar, and there was this big uproar about how. You know, he, he got arrested a couple of times for, for playing his guitar out in public. And, you know, and then people started sh- going on strike. And
2: I don't know if there was a general strike, there but was, there was <laughs> actually. Rosa <laughs> Luxemburg was right, risen from the dead. And no, no, there, there, <laughs> there were some protesting. I don't know if anyone left That's wh- what Left I mean. work. I mean of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if he can't play guitar in Rittenhouse Square, I'm not delivering bread anymore to Rouge. <laughs> you know? um, so, you know, no, there was a bit of an, a public outcry. And I think they actually. Um, at the time that they were arresting him, they were citing some antiquated, uh, law on the books, you know, you know, vis-a-vis you're not technically allowed to get a blow job in Pennsylvania, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. That's just sort of there and not really used. And, um, there was a public outcry and I think they actually ended up changing it and redefining, uh, how many people that if you promote it and gather a certain amount of people and that's not interesting, but the interesting thing was that at this time they were pr- persecuting this guy.
1: Basically it pissed you know. us off because there's so much going on in Philly. That's not good. Crime rate, murder—you know—all yeah. these surrounding areas that are horrible. And here you are, in Rittenhouse Square, some ritzy area where people that live around there are probably complaining. And you have p- people arresting this guy for playing his <laughs> goddamn awkward. guitar. It's like, give me a break! Like we've come so far <laughs> in history, and then we're going to arrest him for this. Well, who's funding so,
2: the DA's campaign, right? That's the well, thing. Yeah, so exactly. it just—you
1: know—it—it it, was—it was very uh, upsetting.
2: So yeah, that—that—that probably—and that may be the extent of our. <laughs> sort of social political um <laughs> yeah. part of the re- part of the record most of it is is um you know more personal you know obviously erica and i's relationship has evolved over the course of starting the project uh till now and, and and continues you know to do so in all kinds of interesting ways so some of the songs are you know about that um you know sometimes something that she wrote sometimes something i wrote about her that she's now singing and uh, that's sort of a yeah. weird kind of you know dynamic going on there <laughs> and uh so, yeah interesting some <laughs> things some
1: I'm singing about or you think they're about me but they're really from him because we, we definitely shared a lot of uh, lyrically and musically we both we both wrote so you That's never cool. know who
3: we're really talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you guys had your CD release at Dobbs and school D joined you on stage for a song mm-hmm. how did that come about and are you planning anything else with him um, I had met Schoolie years
1: ago at Bar Noir, like run into him, and then I went to this um, Bar Noir that used to be on 18th Street in Rittenhouse. Okay. Um, my good friend David Carroll uh, was the owner, and there was a Bar Noir reunion party not too long ago, and him and I were both there, and we finally like met face to face and started talking, and he was like, oh, I like you, you're cool, and I was like, I like you, you're cool, and we seemed to gel really easily, and, and he's like, I want to hear your stuff, okay, cool. And, um, played him some tunes and, and, you know, Jimmy always, um, when we were in the studio, Jimmy had always said he thought uh, like some kind of rap or, or, or thing, you know, and for a good time would be really cool, uh, somewhere in the song. I wasn't least, sure that
2: I should do it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. So yeah, that, there we go. Yeah. So,
1: so, uh, I thought that was a perfect opportunity and, and, uh, he loved it. So he came and, and did. Did a couple verses and it was like, it went over really well. So after the show, um, people came up to me and they're like, that was awesome. And, and was, came up to Jimmy and I was like, man, we got to lay that down. That's, you know, that's a single. So we actually just, um, laid it down with him in it. The remix, we're going to re-release it. Awesome. The schooly way.
2: Yeah. It's going to be in the blonde with a gangster rap. uh, Yeah. (laughs) But it's good
1: because the song's about, you know, it originated, You know, basically about Philly and having a good time. And that's kind of what he's about. So, and actually, I'm going to be recording a song with him on his uh, upcoming EP as well.
3: Oh, nice.
0: Hey, why don't we listen to a track? Uh, Does that sound good to you guys? Yeah. All right. All right. This is For a Good Time by In the Blonde. i heard for a good time by in the blonde where can we find and buy those songs
2: well uh, first and foremost uh, iTunes We're uh, available on iTunes as well as Amazon and CD baby those are three major online outlets by all means come to the shows come up and talk to us and we'll be happy to to sell you one okay okay Uh,
0: okay great so everybody knows where to get the songs at go get
2: them now
3: I know you guys have a big benefit show coming up in July at resorts in Atlantic City. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, well, um, Erica has done uh, some events in Atlantic City, most notably the, these Miss America pageants, which is kind of a lampooning on um, Miss America for drag queens. And it's, it's blossomed over the past couple of years to be a, a bigger event than just kind of a joke. It, it's kind of a serious event now, not, you know, not in content, but in terms of how big it is. And she's performed there and, um, you know, the gays just love her and, uh, you know, she's got that, <laughs> that, that, that uh, Gaga, Midler thing that the gays love, <laughs> she's got that. So we thought, well, why don't we uh, play a show down there in the summer, especially it gets dead in the city and uh, we don't want to over saturate playing Philly. So we thought, well, let's sort of do a second release show down there uh, for people that couldn't make it up to Dobbs. They uh, ended up offering us a room, uh, like a showroom to do it in at the resorts. Um, and we're sort of tying in the whole, that whole community down there, making it a GLBT Alliance benefit show. So the the proceeds from the show will be going to them. And there's a new uh, place called Prohibition. They just opened up in, in the Resorts Casino. It's like a new gay club, in Atlantic City, that's going to be a big after party. And, uh, you know, it should be, it should be uh, interesting. And we're going to do more than just sort of a regular show we're going to kind of really make it something kind of spectacular and interesting so I'll yeah, well, we're,
1: we're really blessed that we get to perform in a theater mm-hmm. so um you know we have like prime lighting and you bigger know we, stage bigger stage yeah. we can really make it a show and I, i'm more of a show person anyway like you know um it's going to be more theatrical than anything we've done before so i'm super psyched for that
0: that's excellent that's excellent yeah Erica, I have to ask you this, sorry, but after being a contestant on American Idol, what I really want to know is, what did you take away from that experience?
1: Well, um, many things. First, sleep is very, very important to your voice, probably the most important thing. And um, it's definitely true when they say you have to be ready for anything in this business because... That whole Hollywood week was a major, it was a big test, and they're watching you. They want to see how quickly you adapt to change, and, and, and it's basically like, be ready for anything, expect the unexpected, um, you know, be able to do anything last minute and change anything last minute, and do it with a smile, and make it seamless, because that's your job as a performer, and it, it definitely, you know, rang true during that week. Also, um, television is a really, really fast way to get yourself a lot of attention. So if you want to utilize that to uh, the the highest extent, be a drama queen. (laughs) You know? Um, Definitely, maybe if I uh, had let my dramatic side come out a little more, you know, would have uh, given me more screen time. But it's okay, because I stay true to myself. And I also think that was a big lesson I learned. Um, All that I already felt was, was be yourself, be true to yourself, and always do you. So, cool.
3: yeah. Okay. And Jimmy, from being in the band Union Dead to being in In the Blonde, how do you feel you've grown as an artist and as a performer?
2: Uh, well, um, as a performer, on stage, I definitely drink less and, <laughs> and wear more clothing.
1: Because I drink for both of us.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so, so that's, that in and of itself is a bit of growth there. Uh, no, I mean, the Union Dead was a very... Um, not be disparaging about it because I think when, if you were to dig into it, you know, there was some, some substance there, the lyrical content and the song structures, but it was sort of a very specific, uh, singular kind of emotional statement that was here it is, you know, it came from that tradition of, uh, the Stooges and ACDC and that kind of stuff. Right. So it was very immediate. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the process of starting to write these songs, which is part of what gave birth to this, I was you know writing songs and it was like, this isn't Gonna work. (laughs) I'm not gonna be able to sell this to the guys here, no matter how many drinks I buy, and um, and I'm not really necessarily the best person to to sing them either. Uh, I just started exploring more melodic territory and expressing things in a little bit more of a subtle way, Um, which is not always better. Hey, I have an appreciation for for hard rock and roll. I still do, but it's something different, and I needed to grow as an artist. So the the writing's different, and um, and finding a way to, to still be myself on stage when I'm not uh, in the center of the stage, you know, which I embraced and, and was a big part of the idea behind this. So uh, I'm learning how to do that and still bring you know what I'm able to do on stage but do it in a way that complements the whole and doesn't you know draw attention to where I'm just going to freak out and jump off a kick drum and break a bottle or something crazy. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't work so much. Maybe <laughs> in the Atlantic really, City show. We'll it's see. really entertaining, actually. You know? So, yeah, I think that's what I had to say about okay. that.
3: Okay. Now, when did you first start playing music, Jimmy, and which musicians do you really admire?
2: I started playing music uh, relatively late in life. I got my first guitar uh, when I was 19. And at that time, I was listening to uh, just a lot of uh, Bob Dylan and and Led Zeppelin. And um, I mean, I I listened to a whole range of music. My earliest musical inspirations, I was more riff-based early on when I was much younger. I listened to a lot of old uh, Sabbath and and, uh, things like that. And uh, with the lyrical side, I've always liked singer-songwriters, uh, Dylan and, and Leonard Cohen and stuff like that. I don't know. It's a weird thing with me where it's like my, I don't listen to as much music as a lot of people that I know, but I tend to write a lot of music. So I don't know if I just pick things up when I'm out and about with other people and it just comes to me and I don't know it. Uh, I also probably don't know when I'm stealing something, so that's good. <laughs> a lot of people that have exhausted music collections, every time they go to write a song, they stymie themselves with, oh, that sounds like the seventh track off of the fourth Talking Heads record. and right. I, I, I probably just rip it off and nobody's the wiser and I'm happy about it because uh, I never knew. So, uh, But I would say from the songwriter side, I like Dylan, I, I like Cohen. I've gotten into Ryan Adams a lot lately with an R. I want to be careful that that's not Brian Adams. <laughs> and uh, on the rock side... Not yeah, that like we don't love Brian Adams, yeah. too. I love the Stones. I love all the stuff that you would think that I probably would dig, you know?
0: Right. Cool. Erica, I read in another interview that you started singing when you were three. Is music always been something you wanted to do and be a singer?
1: Well, um, I actually, I think I knew which interview you were talking about. And and, um, I believe it was more like people started to notice when I was around three. I think I always just, you know, my mom tells me, like many singers I know, you always were just humming and singing Since you were making noise and um, it just was always there. I don't know how or why, you know, my dad was a big music lover and um, I I don't really come from like a musical family where everyone's a musician, but he had a deep appreciation for music and definitely rubbed off on me. So I think people just started to notice that it was, you know, better than the average three-year-old around then. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> but it was always there. It wasn't. And she it was never, still is
2: better than the average three-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I'm gonna so. stand behind that.
1: <laughs> um, but it, it was always just there. It wasn't really a, a decision or a choice. I always, mm. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to have, to just have had a passion at such an early age for something. So, yeah, kind of just chose me.
3: Now, Erica, you're a singer, a model, and you've also been acting. Can you tell us a, a little bit about the movie you just completed with Morgan Fairchild?
1: Yeah, um this film is called A Perfect Ending. It's directed by Nicole Kahn. Uh she also wrote it. And um it stars uh Morgan Fairchild, Susan Westenhoffer, Jessica Clark, and Barbara Niven and John Hurd. Uh so there's, okay. you know, some good pe- people in there. Some yeah. yeah, and uh it was it was a really it was a new experience for me. I've done some acting, some theater, but that was, you know, the, the most known cast they've been involved with so far. It was It was awesome, and um, in one of my scenes, um, I actually play a high-end escort named Ella, and my dream is to break out of that business into, you know, the world of music and entertainment, kind of what I'm doing now. Because she um, is an
2: escort now. (laughs) Only high-end, high-end people.
1: It's going to cost you. And Morgan Fairchild's my madam. Her her character's name is Valentina, and she's also my aspiring agent. So in the scene... um, she says something really funny to me. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to see the movie. But she actually decided in the script to say it. So uh, it was really funny and kind of shocking. Um, but in the scene, I get to sing a song showing her uh, what I'm going to sing for my audition. And it happens to be for a good time. So that was you know, cool. so cool. Nice. And um, that's it. It was The cast was amazing. And, and I, I believe it's it's due for a theatrical release in early 2012. Okay. So...
0: Great. All right. Well, hey, you know what? I'm really wanting to hear another track here. How about we hear um, Lullaby? Does that sound good?
1: Yeah, it sounds great. What the
0: heck? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, this is Lullaby by In the Blonde.
4: and flow, feet swimming in my shoes.
0: heard lullaby by in the blonde are you sleeping <laughs> was it effective <laughs> where, can, uh, where can listeners find more about your band where can they keep track with you
1: we're on facebook uh, twitter you can sign up for our mailing list which is in the blonde at gmail.com and if you have any other questions or inquiries or you're interested in a booking you can contact uh, melanie rice at MelanieRice.com.
2: And also Reverb Nation and, uh, and our record label, AIR Records, uh, run by Derek Chaffin at the barn who uh, produced the record. Uh, and that's just AIR, like air, records. So there's two R's in a row there, airrecords.com. And you can see we have a whole, a whole little section devoted to us as you know his most prominent and important artist. No, I'm kidding. It's got a great family of artists that support each other there. And that's another great site you can go to as well. And
1: again, you can come to our show and meet us. Excellent, (laughs) Or a
2: bar in Philly somewhere. I'll be at Dirty Frank's later tonight. (laughs) Or the Rogues Gallery probably is where I'll be. Okay, great.
3: And Jimmy, now you started acting too. Um, What drew you to it and what have you been working on?
2: I mean, obviously I'm I'm drawn to performing live generally. um, And my role in The Union Dead, in addition to songwriting, was clearly uh, as a front person. uh, I I never sort of just stood with a guitar. There was always a theatrical piece to it. And I think when I first got into acting, um, maybe I thought that whatever skills I had acquired through doing that would, would roll over or I'd find ways to even improve and be able to bring it back to the musical side. And I found out uh, pretty quickly, you know, that it, um, it really was a lot different. There was a lot less about artifice and putting something on, which The Union did. there was sincerity in it, but it was also intended to be bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, theater acting, I'm finding now is more about stripping away. And I'm not gonna get too esoteric and actor about this, <laughs> but um, I just really enjoy, it, it begins in a, in a selfish place, in a, in a sense it's cathartic, you know, you start as a performer wanting to express yourself, and you have some knowledge that there could be something other people could get out of this, you know, yeah. and, uh, and then that hopefully starts to evolve into um, just a love of the art altogether, and being able to tell these stories, people's stories, and see how other people react to them, and having done a couple shows, I just got done a show called The Shadow Box uh, in, in Philly with the Philadelphia Center City Theater works, and um, people are really moved by it, and to be able to do something every day that elicits that kind of response, rather than be walk, you know just trying to sell people alarm systems or something I've had to do, or grave sites, things that I've done in my life, uh, that didn't last long, because I told people I believed in cremation, so that didn't go over so <laughs> in the grave selling industry, and uh, I just got word today that I got a, a gig at the Philly uh, Shakespeare Company doing a, a Shakespeare play, that'll be my first time taking Shakespeare on, and I've always enjoyed reading it, but... Uh, so I'm excited about that, about trying that out.
0: What's Shakespeare? Which one?
2: It's called A Comedy of Errors. Oh, sweet. Uh, so get ready for, you know, I'm, I'm doing so much memorizing on that stuff that I'll okay. be inadvertently saying thou and thither from stage probably, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully. Well, we're trying to
1: make it more theatrical, so that's cool with me.
2: Well, okay. You know, powdered wig and here we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, uh, you guys have this incredible CD. Thank and, you. you know, what's, the ne- what's next? Do you plan on touring? And if so, where can listeners expect to see you at?
2: Well, we do have the show coming up on the 27th, Yeah, um, and we're really just in the process right now. We, we had decided that the show, we recently played at The Great Room, uh, which is a great room. It's reopened. It used to be The Great Street Pub. Hopefully, mm-hmm. people know about that by now, that uh, Scooter reopened The Great Room in Manioc. So we played there, and we kind of decided that that would be our last uh, Philly gig, probably until after, kind of right around after Labor Day. Um, so many yeah. people go their own way in the summertime. And uh, so we decided to go down and do this Atlantic City thing, which we're excited about. and We have a lot of preparation for that because it is more than just a show. It's gonna, there's going to be a lot of elements to it. And um, we're going to be putting up soon when we talk about the, the website and the Facebook and the Reverb Nation and all that. We'll be putting up our next Philly dates and possibly some New York stuff and some things down into nice. Delaware and Maryland soon. But we don't have a, a regional tour planned yet. It, we'll probably start with some two or three day stints up and down the East Coast. Plus, know. I
1: think we're working on you know getting the show together um, for the 27th, and I want to see what it turns into, to see what types of venues we're gonna, what's most conducive to mm-hmm. the type of show. Because it's not, I I don't think it's gonna just be like a band, like uh, here's a song talk, here's a song talk. It's gonna be, you know, a little more involved than that. So, um, and we're releasing, we're gonna release a single, Schooly Day. I'll probably do some club appearances, and uh, we're looking into getting involved in all aspects of multimedia with the music. Mm-hmm. So you can be looking for stuff online. And m- there was talks of webisodes and stuff that you know bled into the songs and cool storylines that go with music, because a lot of them have themes around them besides just relationships. So mm. um, it's going to be eclectic, kind of like our music. Lots of different things.
3: What can your fans expect from you guys in the future?
1: Well, I think um, everything that we're doing now, we're going to continue to do. Um, We're going to keep growing and changing as artists, as artists do. And I think just keep getting bigger and probably more extreme, take more risks. Um, Again, like, I don't, I, I'm the type of person, I want this to be more than just songs. I want an experience. I want you to come and have an experience and have fun and, you know, want to come to every show. So... I, I don't that's really good. know. It's kind of a mystery to me too. <laughs> cool.
3: Cool. And what advice would you give to some young people who want to be singers or play guitar?
2: It's hard to. I mean, that's. I mean, it's it's, it's a good question because when people tune in and check this out, hopefully they are young or inspired people, and um, if they dig on the music, it's nice to hear from people who you uh, admire. What to, you know to to give you some insight on that, and yet it's hard to give an advice that that doesn't also feel a little uh, tired. You know, just don't give up and don't listen to other people and all and, and all that stuff's really important and true. It's just mm-hmm. been said a whole lot, but I think that so yeah, I'm just probably going to stumble over a couple of cliches <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I tried to go too far with it. But but um, it's a it's 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 a really different crazy territory out there, and I think one of the key things is is you have to stay. If they just want to play or sing, then nobody can stop you from doing that. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's a different thing from make, trying to make a life out of it. Uh, I might not be the best guitar uh, person because I play guitar primarily to write. I, I, I'm not a great guitar player or, or aspire to be. I really like songwriting. You do, If you want to make, make more of it than just kind of being home and doing it, which itself is a beautiful thing, then uh, let go of, of the stories that you might have in your head about how Aerosmith got seen by you know, Clive Davis, like there's a lot of these old things that even younger kids still know about because the the stories are recycled and you really have to embrace the fact that it's a much more splintered DIY kind of uh, environment and Mm -hmm. embrace that and run with it. Don't resist it and do stuff like this, you know, people that are trying to support bands and and get it out there and, uh, and and don't get focused on, on that, the old model. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I would also say that as far as anything you do in life, any career path you choose, you know, do it because you you really love it, not because you're in love with the idea of being famous or a rock star. Do anything because you love it, and be the best you you can be, at whatever you're doing, always. And and, and if you want to go into music or, you know, the entertainment field, just practice, be the, you know, take every job you can get to get experience. I, I've done so many random jobs as, you know, I'm a working musician. That's mainly how I support myself, and I do the oddest jobs, and I'm ready on the, you know, someone calls me, I'll be there in an hour. Nothing's beneath me. I'm not too good for anything because every single experience I've, I've had is, has brought me to where I am now and who I am and, and what I can do. So, um, cool. it's, you know, and it's, it's taken, taken us to where we're going to go. Right
0: on. Well, you know, I want to thank both of you for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Um, thank you know, you. it's really been great and, uh, keep going with everything because I really like your music a lot. Um, this is Sean and AJ from Unclean Bands, and we're signing off with In the Blonde.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks. The statements, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals and in no way reflect the views of Unclean Bands, its parent company, or sisterhood.